From some kitchen where weird food combinations are made, it's the IGN DigiGuys. And now, please welcome two cooks who'd rather use Thor's hammer to mince meat than bash skulls, Mark Kaiser and Wade Major. Speaking of which, you haven't fed me anything in a while. Get on that, will you? Uh, because I'm redoing my kitchen, I which know. has taken o- over a month. But it's looking good. Yeah, but it's looking good. It you're is. getting in, you're getting you're getting a real chef's kitchen vibe. I spent four thousand dollars on an oven. I, th- I think that's wonderful. <laughs> Ask me if I have four thousand dollars. You have four thousand dollars to spend on an oven? <laughs> Not really, and I haven't gotten the credit card bill yet. And I when see. I do, it might go right into the trash. <laughs> and when it goes into the trash, it'll be like I ne- it was never sent to me. Isn't that wonderful that you can do that? Yes. I, 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 I enjoy that. Four thousand dollars on an oven. Yeah. A wolf yes, gas range. A lot of money. You know, you should pause between the words wolf and gas. You should say it's a wolf gas range. It's a wolf gas. You don't range. want. To, you don't want. To, yeah. You don't like the, you, the pause has to be in the right place because otherwise it'll it'll sound like like coyote urine, which I actually well, just bought. By the way, you know, be, <sighs> I bought coyote urine pee shots. Huh? I bought coyote urine pee shots. What? I did. What? 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 What does that mean? What is that? What? The, well, first of all, are, are you familiar with the whole? People love this. This is all about DVDs and Blu-rays and animal urine. Um, are, are you familiar with the fact that you can buy like coyote urine and bobcat urine and badger urine and fox urine? Are you familiar with this? Uh, no. For what purpose would you do that? Uh, to to keep uh, vermin away. Oh. So- I thought you meant for yourself, like you inject yourself. Oh with yes, it or no, it's my new aftershave. I'm I'm seeing how it goes over. No, it's to it's to to keep vermin away, because I I actually believe it or not, I had a problem with. Well, here we we've had problems with both cars because both cars are parked outside. By and, the way, the fact that you didn't inject it or drink it makes yes. this story way less interesting. No. You see, see, at one point, uh, well, Christy's sister was in town, and she got into the car, and she's like, oh, what did you guys leave in here? Did you forget some food in here? And uh, it turns out that a rat had crawled up through the wheel well and snuggled up inside the air, uh, the air conditioning compressor, and as soon as the air conditioning was turned on, it uh, pretty much destroyed the little guy, and then he rotted, and it just uh, stank up the car. <laughs> so that cost like a hundred and some bucks to get the get the, the the thing removed, and none of the guys at the the gas at the uh, the, the mechanics wanted to actually remove it because they it's just it's gross, right? And uh, then my car, I I have this feature on my car where it's like the headlights will like turn when you turn at night a yeah, little bit. I, I have that same. Thing. Yeah, it's kind of cool, right? right. It's sort my, of, but by the way, my oven has that too. Yeah, it's a four thousand nice. dollar oven. Did I tell you that? That's, that's great. Thank okay. you. And it's kind of useless, but it's sort of cool. You know, you can. No, amuse- it's cool. You for you where you live. Yeah. Where there's a lot of like hairpin turns, and you want yeah. to kind of get a sense of uh, what's, just, what, what's just beyond yeah. that curve. Yeah, it's a good deal. Okay, sure. Well, anyway, that stopped working, and uh, it turned out it was because a rat crawled up and uh, inside around the headlight and chewed through the wires that made that possible. And to get that fixed, take a guess. Just uh, wires. Chewed through wires. Uh, $400. Yes. Really? Yes. That's 10 times less than my oven. So I figured $500 versus, uh, you know, uh, about uh, 27 bucks in, uh, in coyote urine, which comes in these little, they're pea shots, these little containers, these little like jars. You like unscrew it and it's all apparently soaked in urine and you set it in the wheel wells at night and then uh, apparently the rats will smell it and go, uh-oh, wild coyotes in town. I better head the other way. Presumably that's the way it works. Well, where, do you buy, wait, where do you buy this? Go to PredatorP.com. No way. I'm serious. I'm still going there. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. com. I'm so there. Free advertising. They should, they should have bought this spot. I feel like... I feel there like... is. Bear pee? <laughs> Coyote urine? Wolf urine? Fox urine? Wow. <laughs> well, that's really the... Oh, bobcat urine? Lion urine? How do they get lion urine? How do they get that? I, it's mountain lion urine. How, how, how would they... They have, they have they have they have um, basically they have they have these giant farms where there are these they're not domesticated but they are captivity bred right, right. all these animals and they're on these giant farms and they are basically trained that when they've got to go 
they head hightail it over to the trough where they pee in the trough and then down in the dungeon, down in Grandpa Munster's dungeon, all the urine filters through and they bottle it and they sell it. Wait, so so these animals are in captivity for life just for this purpose? Yes, pretty they are much. Not. They, are they really? Dead serious, dead serious. How many, how many, how many, like, mountain lions do they there have? There are only like two companies in, in North America that even market this stuff. And one of them has like 80% of the market. This is the better part of the story. The one that has the 80% of the market in North America, I couldn't buy from them. Because because their urine has not yet been EPA approved for sale in California. And this has. Let me let me let me yeah this one apparently has or else they're doing it under the table. Let, let me get this. Let me make sure you understand this. In North America, the in the United States, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, has to approve this organization to sell coyote urine in California, where coyotes run wild and urinate on everything in the first place. Explain that to me. Well, because you can't walk up to a plant where it just peed and like wring out the plant and just yeah, catch well, the urine. Yeah, you know what? Maybe bottle. maybe the EPA should go like round up the coyotes and uh, and and make them you know submit their urine for EPA testing. It's just it's freaking stupid. Create at a certain point. Come on, it's create, urine. Create a pee rimeter around your yard Envi- by using the, mountain the, lion pee liquid <laughs> with scent tags, thirty-three day dispensers, or scent wraps. Particularly across well-traveled pig trails. Yeah. Uh, the principle of the stra- uh, the principle of the strange strategy is that specific animal urine scents, such as wolf, bobcat, coyote, and fox, will deter specific predators. Mm-hmm. The website says, "Well, you, wait, you are the website." Yeah. Okay. The website says that mountain lion pee is guaranteed to drive off desert animals such as armadillos, as well as wild boar. Yeah, and speaking of wild boar, I think we're boring people. Oh, so, no, 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 I could talk about this forever. <laughs> okay. I'd be surprised. Oh, hell. All right, you know, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about movies and uh, DVDs and Blu-rays and junk and stuff. Um, Mark, get that, that one-off out of the way, and then I'm going to talk about uh, some more interesting um, titles from uh, Megahertz, MHZ, yeah, which but, is a really cool new distributor. Okay, fine. Yeah. Uh, Wade, there's a uh, sport. Sports called football. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, they don't. They, it's not real football. Real football happened over the uh, over the last weekend. By the way, Arjun Robin, rock on, led led Bayern right over Dortmund in the Champions League final. Nice last minute goal, baby. That was a that sweet was like, that was sweet like, move. That was, that was like a whole other language. Yeah. Last sentence was like was it just a whole other language? I don't my, understand. My, my peeps understand. All everybody out there who's like Champions League, they're like, oh yeah. Is that the team with the gay guy? Thank you. Is, is that the team with the gay player? Is, is is there a gay player in soccer now? Uh, there is, yeah, but I'm I don't really keep track of that. That's, I don't know. It made the news. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, road to uh, Baltimore Ravens. Road to XLVII. Yep. Yep. Forty-seven. Uh, Baltimore Ravens. Uh, two-time uh, Super Bowl champs. Who would have thunk? Who would have thunk it? This is a very nice uh, deep. You know why don't they release these things on Blu-ray? I just don't get it. These things. You know all these NFL films things are so well shot that you would think that they would release them on Blu-ray. It's just bizarre that they're not. Anyway, this is a four-disc set that includes uh, the AFC wildcard uh, playoff game, the AFC divisional playoffs, the championship game, and, of course, the Super Bowl, of which the Baltimore Ravens won all of them. So there you go. If you're a Ravens fan, go for it. All right. And uh, Megahertz Networks, MHZ, Megahertz Networks, uh, they're new on the scene, and they've been releasing a lot of really interesting stuff on uh, DVD. Mostly European television stuff. And, you know, the character of McGray, the famous uh, detective, made popular basically uh, by Michael Gambon in, on British television, originally a Belgian figure from the Georges Simenon uh, novels. And I had never really fully realized that there was a French-language McGray series, but there is. Bruno Kramer plays McGray in uh, these, this fantastic series, of which there is now volumes 7 and 8, set 7 and 8 from Megahertz. And uh, this is really interesting stuff. It, it's... How it the, the question is how does it compare to the other? I mean, it's very it's very Sherlock Holmesy, um, probably more so than the British one. Obviously, uh, Gambon kind of does his own deal. Uh, it takes place in Paris in the nineteen fifties, and it's got beautiful photography, very nicely done. And uh, I think it's a it's a nice addition to the whole kind of uh, you know the whole McGray thing. In fact, I, I think they're they're doing a new McGray, aren't they? Uh, you know no, that's the McRib. It comes out oh, every uh, season. It's okay. the it's the f- f- chopped and formed meat product that McDonald's yeah, sells. So, of course it is. So good. All right. And then uh, we also have in German, uh, Commissario Brunetti. Now, go ahead. Make a joke about that. I will not. Yeah. I will surprise you and not. 
because it's uh, Commissario Guido Brunetti, and yet it's in German. Do you have any explanation for that? Can you account for that, Mark? No. Okay. Can you account for the fact that you bought uh, whale urine or whatever you bought? Whale urine? <laughs> wow, that would be a trick. That would be a trick. I would love to see. Do you think there's video on YouTube of whales urinating? Well, they have to. YouTube seems to have everything. The thing, the thing with the, when you really think about it, the ocean is just There are no more mysteries in life. filled with filth. Like if you, no, like, if, like, if you go to YouTube and you go, I'd like to see a video of, uh, you know, of Mark sucking on a lollipop. Even if you've never done it, somehow there's video of you doing that. I don't know how that, how that happens. Well, I posted Strange. it. Okay. Anyway, uh, Commissario Brunetti is a, uh, is a, is a, you know, a, a really cool mystery series from German television. And um, it's, you know, obviously based on, a, uh, on the crime novels written by uh, someone who is not German, Donna Leone. So it is an Italian um, story originally, but it's, uh, it's from German television, and it's, uh, it's really cool. It kind of reminds me of The Saint a little bit. Uh, it's sort of all over the place, cool exotic locations, really interesting scenarios. The uh, actor who plays Brunetti is Uwe Kokisch. Uwe Kokisch. So let me say that again. Uwe Kokisch plays uh, Commissario Brunetti. Isn't that cool? Uh, yeah, I guess. I just like those names. Okay. Anyway, no, the, uh, really cool mysteries. Uh, what I have here in my hands, I have not had the chance to watch all of them, but I've watched quite a few of them. And uh, these are episodes uh, 1 and 2, uh, 9 and 10, 11 and 12, 13 and 14, 7 and 8. You don't need to watch them in any particular order. It's all just uh, you can you can mix them up, mix and match. It's all really really interesting. Um, there were a couple in here that I really really enjoyed. The um, uh, one is uh, Uniform Justice, which is episode ten, which I thought was really 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 well written. And then uh, over here, Blood from a Stone, episode fourteen, which is uh, is really cool. It's uh, it's uh, it's very Euro. It's all in you know sunglasses and handbags and uh, cool you know like uh, knockoff goods and it, it's a, there's a whole thing. It made me feel like I was in southern France again, where the uh, all the African guys are always opening their wares. You, did, you, did you ever experience that in Cannes with the African guys? It's the greatest no, thing in the I world. I have not. Oh, they, these guys in like their full-on African robes carrying around these like giant suitcases, and they'll walk up, and they'll speak to you straight up in English. And be like, oh, do you want to buy some sunglasses? And they open it up, and they got like sunglasses and watches and uh, deeds to you know chateaus somewhere in Belgium. It's, fa- it's fantastic. Well, see, that's, that's what they used to do. Now they break into hotels, and they steal millions of dollars worth of jewelry. Yeah. It was a weird Cannes Film Festival. You, uh, you read about that. Yeah. I did. A million dollars. A million dollars for the jewelry just stole. Yeah, yeah. And some guy pulls out like a gun on Christoph Waltz during an interview or I something. I know. No, they, they, the gun fired. Christoph Waltz like took a dive for the floor. He thought Quentin had like shown up and was shooting a new movie. <laughs> uh, anyway, and also available are episodes three and four, five and six, uh, 15 and 16 and 17 and 18, which I intend on getting to very, very soon. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, they're fabulous. Two episodes per, uh, per shindig. And then I talked previously about Wallander, uh, Henning Mankel, Henning Mankel, Henning Mankel's Wallander, Wallander. Uh, this is Swedish, and uh, the Swedes always do great TV. And, uh, you know, as far as the, these, this whole Euro detective thing, uh, Wallander is pretty great, too. Uh, really nicely done, very well written, uh, high production value, and it's got that really cold, chilling Kind of sweet, you know. It's like a, a girl, uh, the girl who kicked the hornet's nest, kind of vibe going here. Really, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, some of that stuff. Some of it is really, some of it is really gruesome. Like this, like this episode before the frost, is really, you know, like like a Bible is left on the on the, at every single crime scene, and it's really. How about something like really this? Freaky. How about something like that? Are you still? What are we looking at? Granite. Well, it's hard to tell because it's just a photograph, but <sighs> I like this one. But it's really expensive. Okay. And then uh, also the complete series of Detective DeLuca. Now, I love the tagline on this. Mark, I'm going to let you read it right off the box. Tagline. Read the tagline. The complete series. Well, they're, they're, no, thank you. <laughs> there are four episodes here. It's only, it's only four episodes in this series. But read the tagline. He's not fascist. He's not partisan. He's just a cub. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I love it. <laughs> Uh, fabulous. No, it's, it's set during the uh, during the Mussolini period, and Detective Daluca is uh, you know this, this is actually Italian. This is actually in Italian as opposed to uh, Brunetti, and uh, you know four episodes here. Terrific show. I mean, I wish there were more, but uh, I thought it was totally enjoyable. I just love the I love the whole kind of fascist fascist setting. 
It's thoroughly enjoyable. And then uh, lastly, the last installation here is Blood of the Vine, starring Pierre Arditi, uh, who is just absolutely wonderful. Pierre Arditi is a, is a fantastic actor. This is seasons one and two. Uh, and you know what? You don't even know what it's about. This is just, a, I mean, here he plays a wine expert. Forget about it. It doesn't matter. It's this very, very looks, French. This, this, this guy looks like a total Parisian badass Pat Summerall, <laughs> yeah. who just passed away, by the way. Uh, it, it, you know, it's it, it, anyway. He's a wine expert who basically is a cop, or, or he's a detective. Uh, you know, but it's it's a who silly. Cares? It, it's is silly. That, it's, <laughs> it's totally it's silly. Like they pick two things out of a hat. Yeah, it's profession it, and hobby. Well, you know what it is. It's kind of like it's like murder. She wrote right. She's a novelist, but occasionally she'll uh, moonlight as a uh, you know detective. Now at least <laughs> there she writes crime novels, right? Uh, your your phone is on or something. It's buzzing in my ears. Huh? Was my phone even here? It must be. Unless it's my phone. Maybe it's your phone. Don't stop the recording. I won't. Just have to deal with it. I don't even know where my phone is, frankly. That's how professional we are. Anyway, Pierre Arditi, uh, he's a wine expert, but he also solves crimes. It's great. Never, never mind what it's about. The Pierre Arditi is just an awful lot of fun. Seasons one and two. And uh, that does it for all the megahertz titles. Uh, I wow, really, honestly, truly. God. You know what? But here's the thing. Foreign language television is, is, is not a big seller on DVD necessarily because most foreign language shows are crap. And megahertz networks is doing a great job of digging this stuff up and finding these really cool shows and making a brand of it. And they're doing what I think a lot of companies don't do, which is they make themselves a brand. Like, for example, Image Entertainment, Image on DVD. What's Image's brand? TV shows. Just a whole, whole bunch of stuff. That's what it is. It's a lot of stuff. We release lots of DVDs. That's their brand. I mean, there's no, there's no like personality to it. Megahertz Networks, total personality. And Shout I, and Factory, total personality. Absolutely. Total personality. I love it. I dig it. All right, let's blow through some music, Mark. Uh, Ringo with the Ryan. Now, Ringo Starr, he was part of a band, Wade. Yeah, I know he was. There's a band called uh, The Beatles. Yep. And there's only two surviving yep. uh, Beatles left. Yep. Very sad. Yep. Anyway, Ringo uh, Starr is, uh, he was, he tours every once in a while. His son actually. He made uh, Caveman. Zach, huh? he, made, he made Caveman. Yes, he did. And I like that. His son, Zach Stark, is, is uh, also kind of a session drummer, big time drummer. I anyway, uh, Ringo performed uh, last July 2012 uh, for his birthday. And it was a great lineup. And that lineup and that concert is is dedicated to the one you love. To the wait, what is this? No, no, I'm just sorting things out. So oh. Never mind. Okay, uh, he's committed to DVD and something called Ringo at the Ryman. Now, the yeah. Ryman is a very famous, uh, very classic old um, venue, and uh, this band includes uh, Steve Lukather, who's a very famous session uh, guitarist, Todd Rundgren, who I'm sure you've heard of, uh, a bunch of other cool people. So get this: you got a mm-hmm. bunch of um, you got a bunch of Wings stuff. Mm-hmm. Sure. You got a bunch of uh, classic stuff, like Bang the Drum All Day. Which was, which was a Todd Rundgren song, and he appears here. You've got a bunch of Beatles stuff, Yellow Submarine. You know, yeah. before you get Todd Rundgren, you do realize that, that um, uh, Liv Tyler grew up thinking Todd Rundgren was her dad. Really? Yeah, and, and uh, until she found out that, uh, you know. Steven Tyler. Yeah, was her dad. Wait, so she didn't know who her dad was? Well, her mom was a groupie. She got around. Oh, I see. See, and you know, Todd, she kind of hung with Todd Rundgren, and Rundgren was like, "Yeah, cool chick, nice little girl. How you doing, little girl? I'm your dad." And at a certain point, uh, he's like, "Yeah, you know what? I'm not really your dad. It's it's the guy with the lips over there." I mean, couldn't you tell she looks so much like Steve? Well, I, at a certain point, it was unavoidable, I guess. <laughs> anyway, Steve Walsh appears on. Oh, Steve Walsh. Uh, Joe Walsh appears on this also, along with uh, Brendan Besson, who's one of my favorite uh, kind of indie rockers. Brendan Besson, look him up. And uh, Richard Marks. Remember Richard Marks, Wade? Oh, I do remember Richard, Richard. Marks. You know, speaking of people who are married to other people, Richard Marks married to uh, Cynthia, what's Gibb. her name? Yeah, Cynthia Gibb. Nobody knows who, was, who Cynthia was like, Gibb is. Cynthia Gibb. She did, uh, she did some dancing and flash dance, and then she got a real good, uh, she got a, had a, like a great part in Staying Alive, which is one of my all-time favorite films. You realize that? <laughs> I'm not, not going to touch that. Anyway, Ring with the Rhyme and Good Stuff. Uh, you're out of your mind. Now, It is a Dio, great movie. It's a great movie. No, it's not. That's a great movie. Dio is a classic uh, kind of heavy metal, super chunky guitar chord riff, demonic imagery band. And this... um, The Ronnie James Dio? Yes. Finding the Sacred Heart. This is from Philadelphia, recorded in Philadelphia, 1986, Wade. Why don't we get paid paid Ryan Seacrest money? Why don't we get paid Ryan Seacrest money? Why does he make so much? I don't get it. We're funnier. We're better. <clears throat> I don't get it. Um, actually, uh, Ryan does his show f- from this very same table we're sitting at now. 
I get a kit fee. Oh, uh, there you go. I don't know what that means. Anyway, Ronnie James Dio from 1986. If you love Dio, you'll love this. It doesn't look that great because it's from 1986, but still, uh, you know, it's like Ronnie James Dio. It can't beat that. Totally. Come on. Oh God, rock yeah. and roll children. Long right. live rock and roll. Time to burn. Stand up and shout. Come on. King of rock and roll. Yeah. Ow. Ronnie James Dio. It's cool. Totally. Yeah, he's the man. Yes, Wade? Uh, you know what? Uh, I, I, let, me, let me hit up some uh, classical real quickly here. Uh, we got some classical. Uh, the um, uh, Saint Matthew Passion by Bach. Uh, we got two different uh, editions of it, or two different performances. Uh, one on DVD, one on Blu-ray. If you are a fan, I uh, I highly recommend it. It is uh, it is beautiful, beautiful. Um, I say you know liturgical music. I guess is is the word for it. Uh, the first one here is the uh, the Paris Chamber Orchestra. Uh, directed by Louise Narboni and featuring a bunch of actors or a bunch of uh, singers that I'm not familiar with. And the other one is the uh, Royal Concertgebouw Orchestra from Amsterdam uh, with the Netherlands Radio Choir and the National Children's Choir. That's the one that's on Blu-ray, and that's the one that I really thought was a, was pretty, that was a big deal. Uh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful rendering, and uh, it, it'll just if you watch both of these and listen to both of these, you'll realize two things. Number one, audio on Blu-ray is a for real deal. Like Blu-ray makes all the difference in the world. Even though you can get good audio out of a DVD, no comparison. The way it's recorded, the way it's reproduced on Blu-ray, just stunning. And also, uh, the Royal Concertgebouw Orchestra in Amsterdam uh, is pretty great. So that's the one I would recommend, even though you kind of can't go wrong with either of them because it's beautiful. Also, um, i got a Blu-ray here of the uh, Orlando Palladino uh, by Haydn, which is, uh, is, is interesting. Um, it, it's a little bit of a strange thing that I'd never, I was unfamiliar with, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a kind of a strange stage production it's kind of a weird musical drama thing um not my favorite you know i love haydn but this thing kind of stretched it a little bit and there's a co-directed by a british guy and a, and a persian guy and it's kind of a weird cross-cultural thing you like clanad i love clanad who clanad they're they're like that irish gaelic celtic group oh yeah they're, it's no, wonderful they're, they're, stuff. they're cool it's really cool. in small doses but they are cool it's cool if you want. I, I, I can't sit there for three hours but well you know cool. if, if, if you're like getting ready to go to a renaissance fair and you're you know you're like throwing on your uh, your, your tunic it's great music to kind of get you ready for it um anyway uh, 23 tracks here all just really really cool recorded uh, january 2011 at christ church cathedral in dublin ireland and uh, recorded on my birthday of all things Anyway, um, really, really cool stuff. Newgrange, uh, Two Sisters, and a whole lot of stuff that has with like Gaelic Irish titles that I can't pronounce. Like Tios Kirstronyadom and Degis Damson, Cranul Nanbul, Kleinenlyle, and then Kaleric for Harbour Garrick And then we've got, uh, let's see what here. Uh, what do we? Oh, uh, Ariane a Barbe Bleu. This is a uh, another piece that I was could, uh, totally unfamiliar with. Uh, this is um, based on an opera by Paul Ducas. I'm not familiar with Paul Ducas. He's a, he's like a 20th century, late 19th century, early 20th century uh, uh, opera composer. And uh, I, I'm not sure I even really understand the story here, but it's it's nice music. Uh, it's okay. Ariane et Barbe Bleu by Paul Ducas, who died uh, in the 1930s. And then lastly, this is quite nice. Uh, Tarja Turunen and Harus in concert live at Sibelius Hall. Um, Mark, are you still with me? Yeah, I mean, seriously. Okay, well, never mind. It's a Blu-ray and a CD, and uh, it's it's very Finnish. And Tarjaturinen and Harus in concert at Spalius Hall. Beautiful Finnish music. Are you finished? I am about finished. This? I set you up for that. No, don't say you I don't didn't. do anything for you. You didn't know I was going to say that. Getting feedback in my headphones again. Okay, you know what? You talk about something. I'll, I'll see if my phone is within eyeshot. No, I'll take. I'll take care of it. Uh, let's talk about some uh, classic movies. Are you sure? Now, are, are, are people like suffering through feedback on the recording? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll fix it. I will. I swear. I'll track what, it down like what? a plumber. I'll track it down. It's. it's I'll, I'll track it down. <laughs> I will. Just talk. Talk about. Talk about those movies because you love those movies. All three of those. I guess you do. I do. Now. Uh, now. Wait. Tell us about Twilight Time. 
And, and I, I, I want you to tell us about Twilight Time for a reason. Go. Uh, you go to uh, screenarchives.com to, uh, to order it because you can't get it anywhere else. Twilight Time's a great company. They, they, I know. Philadelphia? They, they, they license good movies from the studios who've given up on their, on their, on their library what, titles. Are you kidding me? I know, right? Fuh? Blah? <laughs> there you go. I gotta gotta go track down the, uh, the the source of the disruption in the uh, in the in the space time continuum. Hang on, <laughs> Twilight Time. I mean, God love. I mean, I mean, this will be one of their biggest sellers. I'm sure. I mean, Tom Hanks won an Oscar for it, and it's just. I mean, this thing is unbelievable. Who the? Why would they do? Why would they do that? Stop that, Columbia Pictures, Oscar winning movie, Philadelphia broke ground at the time, 1993. It is uh, pretty much the first, you know. Big scale film, big major film starring big stars and a big director that really um, tackled the AIDS crisis. And this is 93. And uh, Tom Hanks is great in it. And uh, Denzel Washington, of course, I love Denzel Washington. Everything he does plays the attorney who represents him. It's kind of amazing now when we think back and we go, oh, my gosh, Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington in a movie together. How did that not cause like time to just stand still? I don't know. But uh, it was, you know what? Whether you, whether you, no matter what you think of anything regarding this issue, you can't deny that Philadelphia is a great movie. Also, Springsteen won an Oscar for his song. I gotta say though, I didn't think Tom Hanks deserved Best Actor that year. I think they gave it to him just because they figured, oh, geez, Tom Hanks finally made a, a really, really serious role. Better give him an Oscar because he may not uh, do anything that's worthy of an Oscar again. Well, uh, also, he that, also plays a homosexual man with AIDS. I, and I know, but it's activist. but it's a very it's a very kind of give me an Oscar kind of a role. And there were better better performances that year, and there were better better more more deserving nominees in, in that category. But, you know, then the following year he did Forrest Gump and they gave it to him again. So there you go. And now look at him. And he hasn't been nominated since. Aw. Although the new Paul Greengrass film, uh, Captain Phillips, whatever it's called, looks really good. Yeah. yeah. You know, he, he plays the, uh, the yeah, captain of the ship that was invaded by the... Uh, the aliens. The, <laughs> uh, no, by the... Uh, no, yeah, I know. By the, 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 the uh, Nigerian uh, yeah. pirates. The, 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 yeah, the, the, guy, the, the, the Sumatran pirates. I know what you're talking about there. The Horn of Africa. The, 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 yeah, those guys. Somali pirates. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with us? I don't know. Isolated score track, audio Sumatra commentary. Sumatran pirates. Did you like how I went to Sumatra? Yeah. I, I don't know where that came from. I don't know. It sounds like, sounds like some Star Trek planet. That's yeah, fabulous. Anyway, um, anyway, good stuff. Uh, Philadelphia, you got to get that. Can't not get that. Now, I am a huge fan. I don't know why Wade is not a huge fan of Medium Cool. Because it's Why just freaking groovy ass sixty. I, I will. I will give it another. I'll give it another chance. I haven't now, seen it since I saw it projected. Yeah, it's twenty five years ago, and I was like, "What the hell are you doing to me, Haskell Wexler? Lay off the acid trip, dude, bro. What is up?" This is a fascinating hybrid film. This was directed by Haskell. Oh, it's Haskell. high, all right. It's high. <laughs> this is uh, directed by Haskell Wexler, who's of course uh, a great classic, all time unbelievable cinematographer. Um, how old is he now? How old is oh he gosh, now? Oh my gosh, carry on. He's, I'll look it up. He's got to be in his. He's got to be in his late. Oh, he's, he's got to be. He's he's what he's. The uh, the movies it's from 1968 and this is the type of film that you would never see again released by any sort of a studio because they would never make a film like this. It uh, stars Robert Forrester uh, as a as a TV cameraman who goes to cover the uh, the National Democratic Convention in Chicago. And what Wexler does here, which is so interesting, is that he sort of he has a story that he wants to tell a narrative fictional story, but he tells it while he's covering the actual Chicago convention, which, of course, as you know, ended in riots. So he's sort of melding the riots that actually happened while Forrester's character sort of, uh, you know, he sort of goes through that environment, dealing with other people, other characters in the film, one of which played by uh, Peter Bonners from the Bob Newhart show. And (laughs) we love Peter Mm -hmm. Bonners. Um, And it's just a great little hybrid film. It's like cinema verite combined with documentary, combined with fiction, and it's just a fascinating film called Medium Cool. Great stuff. Obviously, Criterion liked it enough to release it. Uh, This has a new 4K digital transfer. It looks great, although don't forget, this is 1968, and these are handheld cameras, so it didn't look all that great. Uh, It's got a monorail soundtrack. There's a new interview with Wexler, who's like 1,000 years old right now. Uh, Wade's finding out for us. Um, he's 98 no, no 98 91 he's, he's 91. 91 he's 91 he's and, he's, awesome. and he's got a film in post-production and two films in pre-production he's at awesome least, at least according to uh, IMDB but you know what I've got friends who, who claim through IMDB that they have films in pre-production and they, they don't even have they, they barely even have a script <laughs> so it's like you know you can pretty much claim anything you want even me, but still, I mean look he's I can he's, direct Star Wars you age. know what he just did uh, he just did Occupy Los Angeles 
and Bringing King to China, two documentaries. Yep. Cinematography, yeah. Yep, love nice. him. Anyway, Medium Cool, I think, is a super cool experimental film. Uh, Hag- uh, Wexler approved the Blu-ray, which probably means that they showed it to him, and he said, sure. He's posting Four Days in Chicago, which he directed. Isn't that amazing? He's what? He's, he's in post-production of Four Days in Chicago. Now, interesting. Now, is that yeah. a uh, is that a uh, sequel of sorts? It is. No, it's uh, it's a personal look at Chicago over four days in May 2012. Days filled with politics, protest, and police. Um, I'm reading this right off the IMDb, so there's no, no big deal. Uh, let's see the oh the Occupy movement. It's the whole Occupy thing. So it's kind of it's a little bit in the in the medium cool vein, I guess. Um, fascinating. Yeah, it's when uh, when the Occupy movement, National Nurses Union, Iraq Veterans Against the War Code, Pink, and others converged on Chicago to tell President Obama and Mayor Emanuel to stop the insane spending on wars around the world and bring the money home for housing, schools, and health care. Uh, fascinating. He's still, he still is the same guy he always was, man. 91 years old, and he's out there, like, you know, making documentaries. These people are going to occupy my colon. <laughs> is that what they said, my, the colon? Anyway, Mike when, when Lee. You, when you get a certain age, everything's about your colon and your prostate. Yeah, kind it is. Of, it really is. Kind of I'm getting there. I'm telling. Uh, Mike Lee, one of my favorite directors, uh, Life is Sweet, is the other Criterion film out this week. I don't know how I feel about this movie. But it's awesome. You know that? Yeah, but it's awesome. I have watched this movie, and I thought it was really funny, and I thought that it was kind of annoying, and I love Mike Lee, but gosh darn it, I just I don't know how I feel about this movie. This movie is just, it is like the stuff of life itself. <laughs> It is. It is so like it is just you just feel like you're I'm living sure. with this with this British working class mom and dad and they have twins and one twin is kind of a good girl and the other is kinda of yeah. like this angry, you know, kinda of, you know, loser sure. kid. And it's great. It's just so much fun. It was Mike Lee's first kind of big film and I think this thing is just terrific. It was the uh, it was the launching of Mike Lee's career, at least here. Yeah. And he's since made half a dozen great films since. And I'm a big, big fan of uh, Life is Sweet. This is a 2K transfer, so it's not uh, like the greatest transfer ever, but it is a 23-year-old film. So can you believe that? 1990 to 23 23 years ago? Yeah. Uh, Mike Lee, who can be – Mike Lee does an audio commentary. Mike Lee, I've seen him speak. He can be um, rather uh, puckish. And when he speaks, I'm not laughing at that. I'm laughing at something else that I'll show you in a second. Okay, fine. <laughs> He's being rather. He can be rather uh, puckish and honest, and uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, brutal and blunt when he speaks. And that's always uh, entertaining. And uh, this is great. Life is sweet. Terrific film. Highly recommended. Jim Broadbent um, is in it as the dad. Stephen Ray is in it. Allison Steadman. Uh, really good stuff. Love this movie. Life is sweet. Awesome. Fantastic. Um, I'm going to talk about a few titles from the uh, Warner Archive collection. We love the Warner Archive collection. They uh, they are just doing fantastic stuff. That's warnerarchive.com, where you go to find out all these fabulous old movies that they release on DVD-R, and some of them are Blu-ray, but uh, most of them are DVD-R. And don't let that scare you, because it's really super high-quality DVD-R. It just means it is MOD, Manufacture On Demand, um, and Warner has pioneered that area and is far ahead of a lot of other studios in making some of their less easily marketable titles from their library available to people who want them, so they don't have to you know say, wow. We can't really justify marketing this, so we're not going to release it. Because normally if you have a title that needs to be marketed, you've got to print, you know, you punch out X number of copies of it and send them to stores and, you know, dedicate some ad space and magazines. And if it's if it's just a little title, you're like, ah, we can't really justify that. And otherwise, it never those never would have, would have been released. But Warner, it makes it possible through the whole manufacture-on-demand system to uh, just manufacture them as they are ordered. So uh, even if there's only interest in one it's still financially justifiable to them to uh, to punch it out and send it to that one person that wants to see it. So here, without further ado, are some of those titles. A movie called Sincerely Yours. Now, Mark Soderbergh, Steven Soderbergh, made what may very well be his final feature film. He might do some television and other things. But he'll do He'll something. do films again. But he made Behind the Candelabra. Did you watch it on HBO? Ooh. It was in competition at Cannes, by the way. It got have, great reviews. Got I don't great, have HBO. Didn't win anything at Cannes. Don't have HBO. But it got great reviews. Um, I haven't watched it either, but I'll watch it when we get it on, on DVD and Blu-ray. However, it got great reviews. Michael Douglas playing Liberace. Matt Damon playing Scott Thorson, his lover, his longtime lover. Emmys for everyone. E- e- Emmys for everyone. Um, Michael Douglas uh, actually looks more like Terry Kaiser 
in the pictures that I, I saw, which is kind of scary. Last week. Yeah, it, it's really creepy. But anyway, um, fantastic performances all around, or so everyone said, all of our friends at Cannes. And uh, a lot of people are overlooking the fact, first of all, could I just point out something before I, I go too far afield? You know, Scott Thorson's been going around writing these various pieces and saying, you know, this is how Liberace kept his homosexuality secret uh, for so long. I, did Liberace really keep it a secret? I mean, my mother, when I was a kid, that's how I found out what homosexuality was. My mother was like, oh, yeah, the Liberace, you know, he likes men. I was like, what do you mean he likes men? Well, it's like, you know, I said, does, does everyone know this? She's like, well, you know, everyone knows it, but everybody pretends that nobody else knows it. Right? That's sure, what it was all sure. about. Everyone knew. It, it, it's like, come on, seriously? Give me a break. Like, that wasn't obvious. People just chose not to talk about it. Anyway, um, <laughs> here's what I love about Sincerely Yours. Liberace stars, the actual Liberace, not Michael Douglas, the actual honest-to-goodness Liberace stars in Sincerely Yours. A, uh, an absolutely, a, a film that would be perfectly fine, a perfectly adequate, uh, you know, 50s-era programmer, if not for the fact uh, that we now know so much that, that, of what Liberace is, his, what we publicly know about his persona, now makes this so utterly freaking hilarious. It is like a camp classic now. Now, a lot of this is dedicated to him, basically. It's like an Elvis movie with Liberace, right? He, like, takes time out to just do a lot of uh, performing that has nothing to do with the plot whatsoever. And it's some great stuff, you know? He, he really just dolls up all of these... I mean, what he does with classic pieces, he just dolls it up in his own way and just embellishes it and makes it ridiculous. And it's fantastic. I love it. But I got to tell you, Mark, <laughs> which, of the, which of the pictures in the back of the... <laughs> is least realistic? Is least like... <laughs> Who Liberace really was? It's just a you picture look, of him kissing a woman on the lips. <laughs> but doesn't it look like he's just thinking, I'm, "I better get paid for this. I better get paid well for this." Well, look at Rock Hudson; he did the same thing. I know, but Rock Hudson somehow, you know, it's like none of us really knew with Rock Hudson, and it was, you know, he just he was such a manly man. It's like freaking Liberace. Are you kidding me? Do I re- even even people who at the time, if they can claim they didn't know that Liberace was gay, seriously, do you want to see this man kiss a woman? I mean, is that in Whatever. any? Who knows? No, Who knows? no. I don't know. Gives a crap. No, play the piano. Out. Play the piano. <laughs> Just play the piano, man. Don't try to be a sex symbol. I don't need that. Um, also, Stampede, starring Rod Cameron and Gail Storm and Johnny Mac Brown and Don Castle. Aren't those great names? They don't make them like that anymore. I know. They just don't. Like, we, we had a Western today. It would star, you know... Uh, Steve Jones. It would star, like, Butterfly, Butterfly Stevens. Amber and, 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 and like, Amber and Brittany. ridiculous. And, Anyway, no, this is, a, you know, this is a perfect uh, old cattleman western that just really is otherwise totally undistinguished, apart from the fact that uh, Blake Edwards was involved, believe it or not. Uh, Blake Edwards co-wrote the script and co-produced the film, and it is in no way even remotely like any Blake Edwards movie you've ever seen. But it is significant because Blake Edwards, you know, did some jobs for hire like that every once in a while. The uh, mon- Monogram Cowboy Collection is out now in Volume 6. Six more of these uh, Monogram programmers. Uh, nothing particularly spectacular here. Uh, you know, Silver Trails and Brand of Fear, uh, Range Renegades. They, they were, these were a dime a dozen back in the day. This is an interesting series. Warner Brothers keeps popping them out. The, uh, the Secret Garden. Uh, wonderful story. A young Dean Stockwell is noteworthy in this. I think the uh, the more recent Secret Garden, which was directed by was it Alfonso Cuarón who did the, the more recent Secret Garden? Or was that a Little Princess? He did. I, I always forget. No, no, he did a Little Princess, and it was Agnieszka Holland who did the Secret Garden, the more recent one. Okay, I think so. Anyway, uh, just going off of memory there, I think that was it's that's that's a better one. But uh, anyway, it, this is still quite good and quite enjoyable in that old Hollywood studio kind of way. Directed by Fred M. Wilcox, who was not exactly uh, you know top tier at the time, but nonetheless, it is uh, it's a wonderful, uh, heartfelt adaptation of the Francis Hodgson Burnett novel uh, with uh, you know Margaret O'Brien and Herbert Marshall. But I think more noteworthy because uh, Dean Stockwell is in it. Doggone it! And I like Dean Stockwell because Dean Stockwell played uh, Howard Hughes in uh, Tucker. 
you know. Tucker Man in His Dream? Yes. Smucker's Man in His Jelly? Popeye the Sailor, the 1960s classics, volume one. Thank goodness. I love all of the, uh, the Popeye stuff from the, uh, the, all the, the, uh, the, the 1930s Popeye stuff, the original Popeye stuff. Sure, great Lots stuff. Lots of fun Classic. because because you can't ever really understand what he's saying. Because I guess they couldn't sync up the uh, audio with the animation very well. But the stuff I really grew up with was the stuff from uh, the 1960s. And uh, the original Popeye stuff was all uh, from the Fleischer Studios, and then it was like uh, King World or uh, whatever who did it uh, later on. And uh, now this is all over there at the uh, Warner Archive collection in the Warner Library. There's 72 episodes here, and I thoroughly enjoy this stuff. It's got that cool kind of vibe from the 1960s, that, uh, you know, the, the, the 1960s artwork and the garish colors and the kind of the, the weird curvature and the way the, the characters move. It's just very, very different from the Fleischer stuff. And uh, I think it's great. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. So I uh, look forward to the rest of this coming out soon. This no, is long, no long overdue. No, wait, I'm about to wait yeah. everybody's time for two seconds. Yeah, I'll go ahead and do it. I know that when you were a kid, you did what I did. I, what did I do? On weekend mornings. What did I do? I, I'm not sure if it was Saturdays. I think I it was Sunday Dusty, mornings. I watched Dusty's Treehouse? No. You watched Tom Hatton. Oh, so Three did. hours. So... Y- three hours every Sunday of actually, Popeye cartoons I, and Tom Hatton. I never watched the Tom Hatton Popeye cartoons stuff, but I did watch Tom Hatton's uh, Family Film Festival. Yes. Da, 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 when he'd play the, that, that little riff from the Little River Band song. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I watched so many Jerry Lewis movies that way. Unbelievable, Bob Hope and uh, Bing Crosby and all that jazz. Tom Hatton's still around. He can't be still around. It, Tom no, Hatton. Tom Hatton died. Oh my goodness, he died eighty. Uh, no, he's still around. Oh, Tom, Tom Hatton's still around. I could have sworn he died in nineteen twenty-seven. He's eighty-five years old. Oh my gosh, really? He's awesome. I could have sworn he died. He and he, you know what? He looks just like Tom Hatton. Oh my god! The Popeye Show. You know, you know when I first started reviewing... in 1952, we started working as a broadcaster at KTLA, which is Channel Five here in Hollywood, wow. where I started my career. Later, landing the part of a friendly sailor in the station's afternoon children's show, the Pier the Pierpoint Five Club. Hang on, um, Hatton's show was aired on Saturday and Sunday until 1985. Nice. Oh, and uh, Hatton then hosted KTLA's Family Film Festival. And, and, and Family Film Festival, he used to have this uh, actual uh, uh, projector, mm-hmm. and he would like turn the projector on, and he would start worrying and clicking, and then they would dissolve to the movie. And I'd be right. like, and I, I was a kid, I'd be like, wow, is he really turning the movie on and off with that projector? Wow. Nice. Because I'm an idiot. Nice. Pretty sweet. He's awesome. Awesome. Well, I, you know, I, I saw him a few times at the screenings when I was uh, first starting out as a, a young film reviewer. Anyway, okay, 1941, uh, The Maltese Falcon, right? We, we love The Maltese Falcon. Fantastic, I don't understand it. Fantastic movie. Don't Do, understand it. doesn't matter. It doesn't need to make it. It's just, you, you've, you've just got, you got Bogart and Sidney Greenstreet and Peter Laurie. And Peter, Peter Laurie sang it's exactly very Weasley. Uh, and uh, then, of course, uh, they figured, you know what? We don't need that Bogart guy. I think that Sidney Greenstreet and uh, Peter Laurie, I think they can carry a movie by themselves. And thus was born, <laughs> thus was born The Mask of Demetrios, which also doesn't make any sense. Um, the, uh, based on a novel by Eric Ambler. Never heard of Eric Ambler. Have no idea who he is. But, uh, you know, The Maltese Falcon, The Mask of Demetrios. It uh, doesn't matter if Bogey's not in it and he, if he's moving on to bigger and better things. We can, uh, it's all right. We'll, we'll make do. Well, uh, not so much. It, it, but I will say this. Even though this is kind of, and directed by Jean Nicolesco, by the way, not one of the, his top films. But um, it's an interesting noir from the period. I think it was probably more interesting at the time, maybe because the novel was more popular, maybe because the actors were, you know, really in their prime. Uh, but this is from the uh, Film Noir Archive collection, part of the Warner Archives. And you still go to warnerarchive.com. But uh, I, I, the only thing about this, don't focus on the film. Just focus on Sidney Greenstreet being large and fat and using his voice so effectively. And Peter Laurie being, being Peter Laurie and just being Weasley and being really upset and very agitated by people. Don't, not really liking it. I'm very upset. I could do that all day, by the way. Yeah, please do. Okay. Anyway. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. Mark, carry on. Oh, uh, Wade. Hi, how are you? Um, so, Wade, for some reason, there's a, there's a movie. <laughs> there's every, a movie. Every week there is, for some, some reason. And I'm really trying to figure out why The Notebook is, A, so incredibly beloved. 
It has to be released 17,000 times on no Blu-ray idea. and DVD. I have no idea. As if it wasn't enough, and maybe, you know, Ryan Gosling has a new film coming out. Uh, Ryan Gosling is, of course, Ryan Gosling. So maybe that's uh, justification enough. But we now have the Notebook Limited Edition gift set. This is a uh, Blu-ray, a DVD, and an ultraviolet. This also includes a 96-page journal, a keepsake locket, and six postcards. Nice. Now, wait, I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say something that will be uh, controversial and uh, anger-inducing. I've never seen The Notebook because uh, when it came out, I didn't have a girlfriend, and uh, I still don't have a girlfriend, so there's no reason for me to watch this stuff. And plus, now I'm too old to really like cry at the end of it. Nice. Because to me, like, you know, love is lame. And nice. Just, and just horrible and angry and bitter, and, and, and I just don't believe in love anymore. Wait, I just don't believe in love. Sure you do. So what's the point? Sure you do. But uh, you know what? Hey, Women love, love the will find. Look, my father was married five times before uh, it finally worked out, so... Wow. Yeah. And I'm the result. So well, well, stick, with, in, stick in, with it. In that case, it didn't work out. Um, <laughs> so, two, uh, some of the stuff is ported over from previous iterations. Uh, two commentaries, um, deleted scenes, four featurettes, a Rachel McAdams screen test. And, uh, yep, there you go. The Notebook is now Swanky. so big. It's now so thick it takes up an entire shelf at Best Freaking Buy. unbelievable. Because the thing is just so thick with lockets and Bloody DVDs and uh, it, it, journals and postcards. Beautiful. Uh, you know, Shot Factory keeps releasing these action-packed double features of uh, classic films or classic kind of exploitation action films on uh, Blu-ray, and a lot of it is just like, all right, thanks, thanks for that. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll pay attention to that someday. Uh, but this is actually a pretty good one. Um, a couple of Peter Fonda movies, one of which is pretty significant. Uh, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry. Yeah. Right. Right. Fa. Fa totally. Uh, you know, Susan George and Peter Fonda rock on, you know. He, he's a NASCAR driver, and he needs some money fast, and Susan George, all right, I'll, I'll hang with you. Vic Morrow was in this, of all people, who lost his head when he was making Twilight Zone, and I mean he lost his head. That's a rude joke, isn't it? Did I ever tell you my story of, uh, of talking to Peter Fonda on the phone? No. I probably, I must have told well, the story. Well, the other one, by the way, uh, Race with the Devil, Peter Fonda and Warren Oates, who was, you know, whatever happened to Warren Oates, man? He was just a man for, like, between Bonnie and Clyde and no, a lot of other stuff. No, come on, Bonnie just... and Clyde, please, stripes. Sergeant Hulka, he's Thank our big you. toe. There you go. Warren Oates was the man. But anyway, so that, that, that that's kind of the B movie here, the B side. But uh, really, Race with the Devil, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, a great couple of films. And by the way, you know who, who also is in uh, Race with the Devil? Um, Loretta Swit. Did I tell you my Loretta Swit yeah. story? Have I, have I told that story on this I'll show? I'll tell you what. I you tell a Peter tell Fonda you story, I'll, I'll tell Loretta, Loretta Witt's Swit story. Jeez, I can't say that. Loretta Swit. Peter Fonda story. Go. Okay, so uh, I was producing a, um, or I was, I was a segment producer producing interviews on a late night talk show on NBC, and Peter Fonda was a guest, so this is like, you know, in the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. And we were setting up the pre-interview, because as you know, whenever a celebrity shows up to a talk show, they talk to a producer on the phone a couple of days beforehand to discuss sure. the questions that are going to be of asked. So nothing is a surprise when they Never. show up on any talk show. Of course. So the uh, publicist... You mean all those people on The Tonight Show, they're not shocked when uh, Jay Leno whips out some uh, letter and artifact from their past or some movie clip? Are you serious? Uh, it is unbelievable. Wow. Uh, so anyway, I was told by the publicist that, uh, you know, Peter's going to call me at, uh, you know, whatever, uh, Tuesday at uh, 5, whenever it was. And the publicist tells me at the end, he says, I'm just letting you know that when, when Peter talks to people on the phone, instead of saying hello, he says goodbye... And at the end of the conversation, instead of saying goodbye, he says hello. And I was like, okay, I guess. So All then right. it's, you know, it's Tuesday at 5 and the phone rings. And this guy says goodbye. And so, <laughs> Peter? <laughs> yeah, hey, Mark, we have a conversation. And we talk about the show. It's going to be on. And all right, Peter, I look forward to meeting you, you know, tomorrow on the show. All right, Mark, it's nice talking to you. Hello. <laughs> he hangs up the phone. And it was, you know what? And even though you know it's coming, it was a little freaky. That's great. I have to say. Well, here, here's my Loretta Swit story. It's not nearly that interesting. Uh, so I was at Osh, I don't know, like six months ago. Not more than that. It was probably like, uh, let's see, the baby wasn't here yet. So I don't know, like uh, nine, ten months ago, let's say. I was at Osh. Now, Osh stands for Orchard Something and Hardware. Home Supplies? Yeah, Orchard Supplies, hardware, something. Anyway. So, you know, it's, it's basically like Home Depot, except, you know, the floors are dirtier. So uh, I'm at Osh looking for some damn thing. I don't know. Pruning shears. Who knows? Don't I don't we have know. an interview, by the way? Yeah, we do. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that. 
And uh, I'm looking at pruning shears, let's say. I don't know, whatever. And I couldn't find it. So I leave Osh, and I get back into my car. This is over on Bundy. And I look next to me, and there's this, this Mercedes with, like, fuzzy dice and a bunch of crap hanging from it. And it just it looked like, like someone really, really eccentric and crazy it just populated their car with a bunch of crap that shouldn't even be in a car. And I just thought, who would take their Mercedes and put a bunch of crap in it? And here comes, you know, uh, an old Loretta Swit roaming over, and she gets in the car with, like, some other person. And and they take off. That's my Loretta Swit story. My story She's is crazy. so much better. Your story's way better. Exactly. All right. Uh, well, Mark teased it. Yes, we do have an interview. We have an interview with a first-time filmmaker, first-time Canadian filmmaker, uh, whose movie we actually talked about a couple of weeks ago. We'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, some interesting insights into, uh, into her film. And uh, before we get to that, I'm going to make mention of another Twilight Time title from the Fox Library. God bless the people at Twilight Time. Uh, no, this is not like Philadelphia. Uh, this is an older movie, which uh, I don't know why Fox would want to kind of throw the towel in on doing this themselves, but thank goodness they did because Twilight Time did a great job with it. Um, and, of course, all of these Twilight Time titles are limited in uh, in release. There's only so many that they, they press, and you've got to go to screenarchives.com to, uh, to get them. This is Leave Her to Heaven, the 1945 enormously successful melodrama, and this was a huge hit at the time. John M. Stahl directed uh, based on the novel by Ben Ames Williams, screenplay by Joe Swirling. This was uh, a, quite, a, quite a film at the time, featuring just a, a spectacular performance by Gene Tierney, whose hair is just magnificent in this movie. Cornell Wilde, Gene Crane, and a young, dapper, dazzling Vincent Price. Uh, there is an audio commentary on here with uh, Daryl Hickman, who's one of the actors in the film, along with Mark. The other person on the audio commentary? Uh, grumble, 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 grumble. Marlon Brando? No. Grumble, 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 grumble. Uh, Come on, people. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Uh, that narrows it down to okay, 75 here, different people. Here. Who's, whose favorite phrase is, for Christ's sakes, people? Uh, an Keith email. You've gotten, you've gotten emails. Keith Olbermann? No. Gosh, you're disappointing me today. Richard Schickel. Okay. How, many, how, many, how many times have we gotten that Lafka email? Everyone will be bitching back well, and forth, yada, 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 and then suddenly, just like a volcano erupting, Richard Schickel shows up in my inbox. For Christ's sakes, people, you're all wrong. I love it. It's always entertaining. Uh, well, I, I hear the <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wait a second. Here, I just pulled up a Richard Trickle email. So when I <laughs> Did first you really? I did. <laughs> so here you go. So when so when when I, when, when I joined Lafka, I wanted, when I joined Lafka, I wanted to. Um, don't we have an interview? Yes, we do. When I joined Lafka, and when I joined Lafka, I wanted to revamp the website and I wanted to make it a place where people oh, would visit. Gosh. So I had all the critics fill out a questionnaire. And the questionnaire would be like, you know, uh, what film affected you most when you were a kid and what was your first printed review and all, all that sort of stuff. So I sent it out to everybody and, and pretty much 90% of all LAFCA members filled it out and emailed it back to me. Richard Schickel, however, said this. Dear Mark, I cannot imagine spending a day filling out this questionnaire. Life is just too short. Best Richard Schickel. <laughs> oh, wait a second. And then, and then when, and then, uh, <laughs> in 2008... <laughs> I kept me for five years. In two thousand, I wish I had kept more of his emails. In two thousand eight, uh, we were considering the application of a blogger. Should I say his name or not? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, David Poland, whose yeah. website MovieCityNews.com, dot com, I it's read kind of every day. I like yeah. David Poland. I yeah. like his website and I yeah. read his um, his essays. But we were considering his application, uh, which was not accepted, and we were going back and forth on it. And at the time, it was sort of when you know internet bloggers weren't really accepted as pure critics. Of course, now they are. So there was a bit of a back and forth on that. And, of course, Richard Schickel ends the whole conversation with this email. Who the hell is David Poland, and why should I care about his Lafka status? <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's a beautiful thing. Okay. That's a fabulous thing. All right. So that is it for classic movies. Now, we do have some uh, new titles this week to talk about. Uh, some of the other major... How long is the show going to be? It's not going to be long. <laughs> and, uh, the, but, the, the, it's, you know, the, the, the really good stuff hadn't arrived by the time we recorded this. So uh, we're going to uh, we're gonna clip in right now with uh, a, a fabulous interview with a first-time filmmaker 
uh, by the name of Kate Melville and her film Picture Day. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It's a it's a it's a teen film. You know, it's about a girl who uh, is repeating her senior year in high school and uh, just kind of trying to deal with uh, you know all of the stuff that that uh, that you're embroiled with at that time of life. And in addition to all of your you know scholastic problems, you've got all of your other you know teenage life problems. Anyway, Picture Day was uh, a bit of a big deal at the uh, Toronto Film Festival. The uh, the film uh, was award was nominated for the Discovery Award and the International Critics Award, and uh, this was at the 2012 Toronto International Festival. It got theatrically released in Canada, did not get a theatrical release in the U.S., but it is um, it, it's really an, a, a, a really sharp first time uh, film from a writer director, Kate uh, Melville, who had a lot of television experience behind her and really imported all of her work from you know working on shows like Degrassi, which is you know Degrassi has a whole a whole litany of uh, of years and stuff behind it. So uh, here is my uh, phone interview with Kate Melville, first time director, uh, first time writer director of Picture Day. Uh, we are here talking with writer director Kate Melville uh, about her film Picture Day, and um, give you know just give us a little sense of uh, the the genesis of this film. And uh, you know, there's so many movies about teenagers and coming of age. How, what what made you get to a place where you thought I can do something totally different? I can do a different kind of a character, and I can set this film apart because that's what people have really said about the movie: it stands apart. What give us a little sense of the genesis? Um, the genesis of Picture Day actually began when I myself was in high school, which is low twenty years ago at this point. Um, so I was a writing kid, a sort of dorky, nerdy writing kid, and I originally created two teenage characters for a play that I was writing, and the story behind it was that it was a sort of older girl and younger guy, and she had used to be his babysitter, and now she's repeating her last year of high school, and he'd shown up as a freshman, and they were sort of forming a new friendship and maybe something more. And so I think as a teenager, I understood that, like, four years is a generation gap. Like, it's a big gap. And so what I tried to do over the 20 years till I found myself directing it at 38 was to really kind of remain true to that that understanding of what it felt like to be a teenager. Now, you you were uh, involved with the Degrassi uh, franchise for a number of years, the, the Degrassi, <laughs> the next generation. I mean, Degrassi goes a long way back, even to when I was, you know, just coming out of being a teenager, and I'm not going to tell you how long ago that was. But it's been, it's sort of been um, the the antithesis to things like Saved by the Bell and all of these uh, TV shows that really try to uh, glitz up and, and uh, insert jokes into the whole process of growing up where it really doesn't belong. Degrassi was sort of the, the gritty, realistic take on that. And a lot of us have appreciated that over the years. Did did you really kind of, do you feel like you honed your skills there? Because this is your first feature film. Was it Degrassi is, really, was that the, the, the sort of the training ground, do you think? I learned a ton at Degrassi. Um, I think Linda Schuyler, uh, who created Degrassi, really kind of pioneered awkward funny in Canada, yeah. you know, like that kind of cringy moment where it's so truthful that it's also hilarious. Yeah. And that was certainly an inspiration. Um, also, you know, I think I took a real inspiration in the shooting of the film from like the very beginnings of Degrassi, like Kids of Degrassi Street, if anyone remembers, where Linda was working with real kids and working in real schools and on location and were a low-budget film all shot on the streets of Toronto. And give me their feedback. So sure, like Degrassi was a great training ground on lots of fronts. And then I think as a staff writer, you really learn about writing for young people. And like what right. works, what wasn't. And of course, Spencer Van Wick, who plays Henry, the, the babysitter in this duo, is actually a, a cast member from Degrassi that I stole away from my movie because he was terrific by me. Talking about cast, talk a little bit about uh, Tatiana Maslani. Is that how we, we correctly pronounce her name? Perfect. Um, uh, Tatiana Maslany, uh, probably most of you would know from Orphan Black, uh, where she plays the many, many clones of Orphan Black. Um, she's a, a fantastic actress and uh, was a really was a real collaborator with me on Picture Day. We um, worked together about a year before we shot the script. play a little bit and she's very funny which is something that I think is sort of new that you get to see in picture day so I feel like the character of Claire who I'm probably most proud of in the film as a kind of fully realized uh, young woman is very much I, I can only sort of take 50% credit for but she's, her performance is really quite, quite extraordinary 
Well, I mean, she's a she really is a great new talent, and uh, that's saying quite a lot at a time when I think we've had this explosion of new ingenues. Uh, she just seems there's something about her that just seems a lot more fresh and honest as opposed to kind of you know Disney generated, which most of them seem to be. I mean, she, there, there's something very. I mean, is some of that uh, maybe the fact that she comes from a, a remote part of Canada? Is is there is there some part of that to her personality? Um, I think, honestly, like any overnight success, it's often 15 years in the making. Like, that's yeah. a real vet, right? Like, she's been working in uh, Canadian film and television for over 15 years, and she's incredibly uh, uh, skilled as a performer, which is something that you kind of lies underneath how playful and um, honest uh, she is to watch. So it's like this great kind of combination of head and heart. You know, she's got this amazing... Um, uh, skill level, and you know she's an absolute consummate pro. And at the same time, there's this great playfulness to what she does, and there's a great kind of you don't quite know what she's going to do next, which I think is delightful for the audience and really fun on set. We spend a lot of time laughing. We really did. <laughs> well, and, and you you were I mean you had great success with this film, your first film, and you were at the Toronto Film Festival with it. That's a, a wonderful place to kind of uh, present yourself as a filmmaker. Good experience overall. It was incredible. It was really quite remarkable. Of course, I grew up in Toronto, so uh, I was skipping high school to go to the film festival when I was a teenager. Um, it's a little funny, you know, like my family are all here as well, so you know you're on the red carpet, but your mom is like behind the photographers telling you to smile. So it was all kind of a wonderful and hilarious experience. And for a small film that, you know, really kind of came out of myself and Tatiana and Spencer Benwick and Stephen McCarthy, those the three actors and myself kind of uh, creating the story together to have such a debut with, you know, all the attention and uh, that the Toronto Film Festival can offer was really wonderful. Um, right. So, so what's uh, what's up next? Uh, I mean, this is, you know, you, you spent a lot of time in television. You've really, really done your time with a, a lot of hours of television, and now you've got a feature film under your belt. Um, and that and a successful one at that. So what uh, what are the, the plans for the next step? Um, I would say uh, I've definitely got the bug of directing. Um, it was probably a solid 15 years after film school before I worked up the courage to actually do it, but now I have. I definitely want to do it again. I'm working on another feature um, about a, a commune in the 1970s in northern Ontario that goes terribly wrong in a sort of, again, awkward, funny, tragic way. My joke is it's like Lord of the Flies meets hair. Oh, um, so, so I'm working on that uh, in terms of a next directing project, and then of course as a writer, uh, that's that's uh, that's how I make my living. So I'm always uh, I'm always writing, and it's it's an exciting time. And uh, Picture Day, of course, is released today, the 21st. So I'm excited to kind of put it out there in the world. It's been on the festival circuit, and to kind of see how people respond. So brilliant. Yeah. Well, Kate, thank you so much for talking with us, and uh, we wish you all the best. And hopefully, we'll talk again when uh, when you get that next film going. Thank you so much, Wade. All right, thanks. So, a lovely lady, and we really wish her uh, all the best going forward on all of her future endeavors, Kate Melville. Uh, okay, so, Mark, the uh, here's what we got this week. We got some uh, some bad movies that were recently released. Um, Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters in 3D. You know, honestly, seriously, what what are these people thinking? I mean, what was the audience for this movie? Gee, let's say uh, let let's let's uh, try to ride the. Uh, let's see if we can combine the whole uh, fairy tale reboot thing that's been going on with the uh, you know the Snow Whites and everything else, and let's uh, let's combine that with like uh, the vampire hunting thing and the Twilight thing and the Avengers thing, and get the guy from the Avengers. Oh, and by the way, that Avengers guy, Jeremy Renner. You know, let's not even really make let anyone know that we, he's in the movie. Let's let's just market it as if uh, it's just it's just some generic actor, and not even t- take advantage of that. This is and, and on top of that, this thing is just horrendous. Uh, it's just so bloody horrible. Who thought of this? Hansel and Gretel, an old Grimm's fairy tale. Let's turn them into you know crime, crime fighting monster destroying superheroes. What the hell? Well, because they're 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 trying to glom on the whole Snow White and the Huntsman. Thing. Oh, jeez, it's just dreadful. Anyway, they're 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 witch hunters. They're witch hunters. Hansel and Gretel, witch hunters in 3D. The unrated cut with intense new footage not seen in theaters. Oh, really? Because the footage was too intense for audiences? They were afraid it might make too much money? Good freaking grief. Um, you know, <laughs> includes an unrated cut with more witches, weapons, and action. More witches? 
oh, there weren't enough witches the first time around. I'm so glad they added more witches in the unrated cut because I, I want to see more witches get blown away. Horrible. Dreadful movie. Uh, 3D awful. It's just, it, it, you know, I hate 3D to begin with, but the 3D in it is just pointless, absolutely pointless. Anyway, it's on Blu-ray. It's all, you know, he's got a bunch of featurettes on it. It's, it's just utterly embarrassing on a level I can't even comprehend. Mark, uh, yes. speaking of embarrassing, would you tie uh, it? Identity t- Thief take is... Take us out uh, with that. I, I will. Identity Thief, Wade. Ugh. It's, um, you know, I don't know how... It's funny how Jason Bateman was sort of like left for dead for a while, then suddenly he just I became know. like a thing. When yeah. did Jason Bateman become like a like a leading... You know what it was? It was when he did Hancock. Oh, I guess. I think Hancock might be where he suddenly became like a guy who you would actually, you know, cast in big studio movies. Uh, in uh, Identity Thief, he plays a guy whose identity is stolen from... Um, a crazy woman played by Melissa McCarthy, who was hilarious in Bridesmaids, and she is. You know what? I think. I think in the in, in the, the one note that she plays, she plays that one note amazingly well. Yeah. But someday she's gonna have to do something different. You know, Jerry Lewis, Jerry Lewis at at Cannes uh, a couple of weeks ago. He, uh, he he was there promoting this new film that he's in, which it was is destroyed. A, which well destroyed. Well, he got destroyed. The mo- nobody knows anything about the movie. It's a dramatic role, but but he because he said yeah he said something. He's he's always said this. It's not like it's new, but everybody always wants to ask him the question. Uh, why don't you think women female comics are funny? I don't think women are funny. I, I think women shouldn't do comedy. Women shouldn't do broad comedy. And he's like he gets mutilated for saying that all over again just stop this is how the guy feels leave him alone he's Jerry Lewis he's old well well, you're telling me anyway he doesn't, he doesn't think she's funny he, he, so he specifically <laughs> does not think Melissa McCarthy is funny he, has he, he doesn't think any women are funny he's out of his mind yeah he doesn't think any women are funny uh, this movie is a perfectly acceptable rental if you're at Redbox and you're like god I've seen that and I've seen that and I need to kill two hours with a, with a, with a, with a Domino's pizza and my girlfriend who I can barely stand <laughs> what should I watch Identity Thief is perfectly fine all right, there it is. Done. <laughs> Done. All right, thank you, everybody. We will uh, we'll be back next week with more fun and frolic. We'll see you then.